Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we prayed the collect earlier today about Holy Scripture, that we would learn it, mark it, inwardly digest it. This morning, help us be open to the Holy Spirit as we study your word, that we would be changed to be more like Christ. In his name, we ask this. Amen. So, each day, when I turn into my neighborhood, I am typically heading down 67, I get to a light, and I have to make a left-hand turn. And that particular turn lane only has a red light and a green arrow light. There is no yield. And it's on 67 out by the Arconic building. There are periods of time where there is nobody there but me sitting at a red light. And even worse, whenever the train goes by, the light will not turn green. As long as that train is going by, you have to sit there. And even worse than that is around 4 o'clock each day, that light will not change. So you'll be sitting there, and it's a red light, and the, the traffic across from you begins to go, and their turn lane goes. Then their turn lane stops, and our straight lane starts going. What should come next? Yes, we should get a green light. But no, everything goes red, and the cross traffic goes. Then it happens again. And by the third time, you can imagine some of the feelings welling up inside of me. So I'm about to admit something that maybe I shouldn't admit on a recording as a pastor. Starting about a month ago, I am running that stinking red light. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. Oh, the frustration that it brings. And I know you all know frustration when it comes to driving, whether it is red lights or stop signs or people going too slow or people cutting you off or whatever it would be, that frustration. But I would also guess that there's a certain amount of frustration and discouragement in different parts of your life. This morning, what is it that you are frustrated with? What relationship or job or thing going on that you don't really have control over that is discouraging you, that you just want to change and you are really ready to run that red light? What's that thing or things? Because I imagine we have more than one. That's what we want to talk about this morning. What do we do with our discouragement, our frustrations, sometimes those things we just can't control? Open up your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 21. As I was studying this passage, this question came to mind. I wonder if Jesus gets discouraged or frustrated. And when I was reading this passage, I went, yes, he does. And here is why. Luke chapter 21, page, uh, page 1500 in the Pew Bible Page 1500. I want to share with you a little context of what happens here because it will change the way you see what's going on. So we read for our gospel reading in verse 5 
some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. If you happen to read the weekly email, I talked a little bit about the temple. This was an incredible structure in the ancient world. It was known throughout the Roman world. It was beautiful. And so here are the disciples looking at some of the beauty of this structure that is also considered the most holy place on earth. The holy of holies is where God dwells. And as they're talking about it, the text says, but Jesus said. Now, please notice they didn't ask him a question. He's interrupting. And if you want to know why, you have to jump back a couple of verses. They were in the temple, and Jesus was watching people put in gifts. And here's what happens just a little bit back. Verse 3, truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow who put in two very small copper coins has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Here's Jesus making this wacko, incredible statement that this poor widow who put in almost nothing actually put in more than all the rest. They gave their gifts out of their wealth. And then a few moments later, the disciples are going, wow, look at all of these amazing stones and all of the gifts that have been given. Oh, this is incredible. And I picture Jesus going, really? <laughs> like, you're not even at all considering what I just said about what this widow did? You're not thinking about wealth at all differently? You're not questioning even a little? And it just made me wonder, does Jesus ever get frustrated? And then I thought, well, I've read a number of times where Jesus was frustrated. Um, I'm just going to read you a few. I won't ask you to turn there yet. This is Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, he just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And they're having this discussion that goes on. And, uh, well, first the Pharisees do this. The Pharisees came and they began to question Jesus. They wanted to test him. So they asked him for a sign. Listen to this. He sighed deeply. Oh. And he says to them, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. You can just feel the frustration. But it doesn't end there. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this among themselves, saying to one another, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And do you not remember? You can just feel it. And I can point out so many moments where there is this, they don't get it. The disciples just don't get it. No matter how many times he teaches them, no matter how he explains it, they're still lost. Or you can see it in religious leaders. Last week we talked about the Sadducees coming and trying to trip him up. Why? Because no matter how many miracles he does, how incredible his teaching is, what authority he has, 
they still don't accept it. They still just want to catch him in his words. They want to prove him wrong. There are points where somebody will be thinking something. At one time, Jesus tells somebody, your sins are forgiven. And underneath their breath, in their minds, they're going, oh, he can't do that. Only God can do that. People doubt him all the time. And he has to go, oh, yeah? How about this? Stand and walk. Let me show you the power of God. Whether it is religious leaders, his own disciples, crowds, Jesus knows what it means to be misunderstood. He knows what it means to have people gossip behind his back. He knows what it means to have somebody come up and try to make him fail. He knows what all of those things are. He knows that frustration. And I say all that to say this to you. Here's the first thing you should do with your frustration. Bring it to him. Your discouragement, bring it to him. Get down on your knees and say, God, I am so tired of this stupid light. I just, I'm just sitting here, I'm tired of this, and I'm getting so frustrated. Tell him, because he will not judge you. He will not think you're ridiculous. He knows what it means to be frustrated. Do you know what it's like to get empathy from somebody who understands? I mean, we, we see it all the time in our lives. So if you have little children, or when you did have little children, and you were going through a store, and your child was being a total crazy maniac, like they were charging the dragon trying to slay the thing, and you watch around you and you see faces, and you will see judgment, and you'll see people going, oh man, and you will see the occasional person who's like, oh man. And you just want to stop and go, thank you. (laughs) You have kids, don't you? (laughs) You know what this is like. Like I needed that encouragement. If you're a dog owner, and you're walking your dog, and you see another dog owner, what happens? Besides for your dogs attacking each other, you smile at one another because you get each other. And you can say that about riding motorcycles, about going fishing, about sports. The other day, my wife made me talk to an old man that was in a parking lot. Why? Because he was wearing a cowboy's jersey. (laughs) Do you know how many cowboys fans are in this area? There's me, there's one more, and there's this guy in the parking lot. (laughs) All three of us. But it was like, hey! We know what it's like to have people get us. He gets your frustration. He gets your discouragement. Even when you might think it's silly, he gets it. But there's also something about him that I think is incredible. He never let that frustration or that discouragement win. As you see his life, yes, he felt it. But it never overcame him. He never gave up. I know this because he continues forward in his mission throughout his ministry. No matter how bad it got, no matter who came after him, he keeps going. And I think the way that he addresses the disciples in Luke 21 actually gives us some of how he did that. So look back at Luke 21. I want to tell you a couple things about Jesus. And they're coming out of his direction to them. So first he tells, first they ask this, verse 7, Teacher, when will these things happen 
And what will be the sign they're about to take place? Two questions that they ask to him. And he gives an answer. But in his answer, I also think you see something about him that lets him overcome his discouragement, his frustration. Here's the first thing you see. Jesus lived reality. He had a very good sense of what was real, what to expect. He was neither an optimist nor a pessimist. He was a realist. Look at the first thing he says to them. Verse 8, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. He does not sugarcoat things. Jesus doesn't live in a world where he puts on rose-colored glasses and everything is great. And then all of a sudden, when things aren't great, he's like, oh. He very much realized we live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen too, but bad things are going to happen. And when you start from that position, you are not nearly as overwhelmed when the discouragement actually happens. Because you know what? Sometimes lights don't change. I mean, how many of you have ever had problems with electronics? Anyone? (laughs) I mean, this morning, I couldn't get the piano to work. Like, it, it it happens all the time. We should expect that. Sitting there working with that piano, I should expect to come in now and then, and the demons that are in sound systems of churches do their deeds. It happens. He has a very realistic view of the world. You're going to get persecuted. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. Don't be shocked by these things. This past week, my son, Keenan, made me very proud. He did something that I think is the exact right way of handling stuff. And so I'm going to brag on him for a minute. We got home, we pulled the van into the garage, and we're getting out from school. I just picked them up. And my nine-year-old son really needed to get out of the van in a hurry. So the door opens, he jumps out, and I say, what about your backpack? He goes, I will come back for it. And he runs into the house. He was in the middle seat. My older son, Keenan was in the back seat. And so as he's coming forward to get out, he looks at the backpack He looks at me and he goes, yeah, right. (laughs) Because we all know that my nine-year-old son forgets things. What nine-year-old does not? And so Keenan's getting out of the car and I look at him and I say, hey, wait a minute. And I look in the back seat where he is. Guess what's back there? His backpack. (laughs) And I said, hey, buddy, what's in the back seat? And he looks back there and he looks back at me with this big grin and he goes, how ironic. (laughs) Here's what I didn't hear. No excuses. No justification. He didn't try to make light of it. He just went, how ironic. I did the very thing that I just made fun of him for. 
It was very realistic. It was very honest. That's what the situation was. Can we be realists when it comes to a fallen world and accept that there are some bad things that are going to happen? And more often than not, God actually works through the bad things rather than just making them go away. It is rare that God just goes, that's gone. It's more likely that he says, hold on to me as you go through it. That's how he works. Number one, Jesus really did embrace reality as it is. Number two, go back into the text. Something else about Jesus. Verse 12, but before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. Again, a realistic view there. Um, If you're going to follow Jesus, there is a chance you'll be persecuted. And in their case, there was an absolute chance he's telling them, you're going to be persecuted. Verse 13, and so you will bear testimony to me, but, verse 14, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. All right, now just stop for a minute and let that sink in. When you get ready to go to an important meeting, when you get ready to have a really hard conversation with somebody, what do you do beforehand? How many times do you run over in your mind what you're going to say? How many times, how many days beforehand are you thinking about it? You can't, you can't sleep because you were like, oh, what am I going to say? How am I going to do this? That's what we do, right? Here is Jesus saying, I don't want you to think about it beforehand. And then he gives them a reason why. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Which should be really encouraging if you've been hanging around Jesus recently. Because the best minds of the first world all challenged him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Zealots, the teachers of the law, they all challenged him, and not a single one of them could defeat his wisdom. And so now he's telling them, instead of worrying beforehand what you're going to say, I want you to trust me when you get there. I will give you words and wisdom you cannot get on your own. Trust the Spirit of God in your life. Jesus did. And here's what was true of Jesus. Jesus always knew he was never alone. Jesus always knew he was never alone. In all of those moments of frustration, all of those times where he was frustrated or angry or discouraged, he knew he was never alone. You see it throughout his teaching. He regularly says things about I only do what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. There's this constant relationship. You see him talking to the Father in numerous places. One time he even does it and he says, I'm only doing this out loud because I need all of you to hear what I'm saying to the Father. Even, even on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those aren't his last words. His last words are, Into your hands I commit my spirit. He is always aware that he is never alone. He doesn't go through these things alone and he trusts in that. Can we do the same thing? You are never alone. 
You're never alone in your frustration. One, because he empathizes with you. And two, because in the words of Jesus himself, I will be with you always until the end of the age. That's how he ends his ministry. I will be with you. He's, you are never alone. You don't have to fight this alone. I read this past week that on November 8th, the Arsenal put out an unaccompanied veteran service. November 8th at 9 a.m. Do you know what an unaccompanied veteran service is? It's where a veteran has no family or friends to invite to a service. Talk about being alone. You served your country and you get to the funeral and there's nobody there. The reason the arsenal sends it out is because if you actually look at where the service takes place, there's a picture of it. Over a dozen service veterans showed up for it. Not only that, there's all of these comments that came out. And a lot of people said, I did not get this. I wish I could have been there. In fact, can you tell me how to get these announcements? Because if that happens again, I want to be there. I want to go. And I would imagine right now some of you are thinking, if I knew there was a veteran who was going to have a funeral by themselves, I would want to go. Never alone. God is always with you. The Spirit is always with you. Lastly, Jesus had his main hope in eternity. Keep reading. Verse 16. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. Man, he just has so much good news for them, doesn't he? (laughs) Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Now that is kind of an odd thing to say to a group of folks who are all going to be martyred. If there is any truth to the tradition of the church... All of the disciples, except maybe John, all get martyred. And yet not a hair on your head will be harmed. Stand firm and you will win life. Jesus was always thinking about the age to come. Yes, he had a very realistic view of this age. Famines, earthquakes, hatred, all of it. But he also knew this isn't all there is. Part of the reason Jesus could not be overcome by the discouragement and the frustration of the things in this life is because he firmly believed in the life to come. He firmly believed there was an eternity. And if I have that, sure, I'm going to get frustrated by this, but I don't have to remain frustrated. Sure, that's going to make me discouraged right now, but you know what? I am not alone. God is with me. And not only am I not alone, but I know these things happen, and I know there's an eternity. This does not have to overcome me. I think for Jesus, he had moments where he gripped the steering wheel really tightly and his knuckles turned white, but he didn't have to run the red light. I think he experienced exactly what you and I experience when it comes to that discouragement and frustration, but he didn't have to let it overcome him. Why? because he knew it was there, because he knew he wasn't alone, and because he believed in an eternity that was to come. 
we can do the same thing. But I think it takes practice. And I will end with this. You cannot just hear a lesson and get a few points and walk out a changed person. Unless, of course, now and then, the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work in your life and you're instantly changed. It absolutely can happen. But it's a rare occurrence. It usually is part of what Paul says, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's something like this. Back in the late 1980s, George Spielman, he is a priest in Zurich, and he is blind. And he would invite people to his home for a meal. And when they came, they were required to wear blindfolds during the meal because he wanted them to experience some of what his experience was. And when people did this, they said they had an incredible awakening of their senses. The food was different than they remembered it being. That when they were, other things were shut out, when they couldn't see, it focused on something else. It became popular enough that there are dark restaurants. You can go to restaurants, probably not in the Quad Cities, but you can go to restaurants where it is completely dark. They will often hire blind waiters because they have a better sense of movement to move through the dark. And you have to eat your entire meal not knowing like, oh, I thought that was mashed potatoes, but that is not. In fact, to get to the restroom, you have to trust somebody to take you there because it's dark all the way through. Now, the restrooms aren't dark. They put light in the restroom because that would be bad if that were dark too. But again, the experience is when you're doing this, it's allowing you to taste in different ways you wouldn't. You have to practice what you learn on a Sunday morning. You have to walk out of here and go, all right, I need to come to Jesus with my frustration. Not just hear it or think about it, but do it. Not only do I need to come to him with my frustration, I need to remind myself this is the fallen world we live in. And I'm not alone. I am not alone. The Spirit is in me. Jesus says he will be with me, and he is here as I go through this. And I need to remind myself eternity is to come. Yeah, this may stink right now, but it's not all there is. And practice that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son, our Savior. Thank you that he can relate to us as our great high priest. He went through things that we go through and that he wants us to come to him. Lord, give us that courage and help us to see in him ways that we can also have victory over our discouragement and our frustration and our anger. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.